Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, Thursday, the 11th of October, in the year 2012. And we are in the Assembly of Start Meditation Hall, Lower Hamlet of Plum Village. This is our, winter, our autumn retreat. The Buddha reminded uh, his disciples that his teaching is about uh, suffering and the transformation of suffering. And he repeated that several times. Because many students uh, tend to ask him uh, philosophical questions, like, uh, is the world finite or infinite? Uh, and uh, he said that uh, all these uh, Philosophical speculation will, will take, take uh, all our time, and we don't have time left in order to practice uh, transformation and healing. So he encouraged his disciples not to engage in uh, philosophical uh, speculations. And there were many questions that he refused to answer. It's not because he did not know how to answer, but he did not want to encourage his uh, disciples in that direction. Many European uh, scholars in the field of Indianism have studied Buddhism in the last uh, 100 years. And uh, many of them... uh, are uh, were very uh, well versed in Sanskrit, uh, Pali, Tibetan, Chinese, and so on. But we, most of them misunderstood the Buddha because they had that uh, intention to, to, to find out what is uh, the philosophy, the ideas of the Buddhas in order for them to compare with uh, the thinking, the philosophical thought of the West. They use their intellect only to study Buddhism. They never tried the practice. And uh, although they know that the Buddha discouraged uh, metaphysical speculation, but uh, they didn't follow that advice. They didn't try mindful breathing, mindful walking, uh, practice of mindfulness, uh, uh, practicing the five precepts, ten precepts. They, they didn't do these things. And if they do not de- do these things, how could they understand Buddhism? Because Buddhism is practical. It's not uh, theory. In Kosambi, one day, the Buddha came back from a walking meditation. And he hold in his hands a handful of uh, simsapa leaves he picked up from the forest. And he showed it to his monks and said, Dear friends, 
Do you see these simsap leaves? leaves? Yes, we do, teacher. Do you think that the leaves I have in my hand are more numerous or the leaves of simsapa in the the forest? The monk said that, uh, dear teacher, well, you only have a handful of them. In the forest, the tons and tons of, uh, of, uh, of leaves. The Buddha said, that is true. I know many things, but I only teach you a few things. Because these few things are very crucial for your transformation and healing. That is the story of the Simsa, Simsa Pali. There was one time when a disciple of, of his, uh, whose name is uh, uh, Balunkya Putta, came and asked him philosophical questions. Teacher, you should tell me whether the world is finite or infinite. Who has created this world and this world is going to, to, dest- to be destroyed or not? Is the soul is the same thing with the body, or the body is something different and the soul something different? When a person dies, does he continue or does, or does not continue and things like that? Teacher, if you don't answer these uh, questions, I'm not satisfied. I will have to leave the order because I'm curious about these things. I want to find out. Philosophically minded people. The Buddha told him, Malunkya Putta, when you first came here and practiced as a aspirant for monk, did I promise you that uh, if you become a monk, I will teach you these kind of things? No, teacher, you did not promise. That's right. I don't prom- promise anyone to teach them philosophy and uh, solve these uh, uh, metaphysical enigmas because uh, what I want is to offer you concrete methods and teaching that help you transform uh, uh, suffering and heal. Suppose someone is hit by an arrow with uh, poisons and the doctor came and said, let me pull out that uh, arrow and try to get uh, the blood uh, in that space out as quickly as possible. And the wounded person said, no, no, don't do that. You should tell me first, who has shot the arrow? What is his name? What caste he belong? Uh, why did he meet, hit me like that? What intention did he have? Did he have? Balunkya Puta, if uh, he wait until he... Uh, these questions are solved, he will die. 
he will have died already. So your questions is like that. They are not important. If you spend your time trying to answer these questions, you will die before you can transform and heal. That is why listen to my teaching and put it into practice right away in order to heal and to transform. That is the story of Malunkya Buddha. And many uh, scholars, many uh, monks of other schools come to the Buddha and ask uh, these questions on, also, and he always remains silent. Because he did not encourage people to indulge themselves into this kind of metaphysical uh, speculation. We come to the Buddha because we have uh, ill being in ourselves. Ill being. We don't feel well in our body. We don't feel well in our heart. We suffer. And we want to know how to transform the suffering in us and to heal the suffering in us. And that is what exactly what the Buddha want to uh, to do, helping people to practice in order to heal and to to transform. And that is why a real, a true disciples of the Buddha should know how to handle a painful feeling how to handle a strong emotion. They should learn that first. The question whether the world is finite or infinite is not so important. The real practitioner has to know how to generate a feeling of joy, of peace, of happiness for her, for her nourishment and healing. <laughs> and the time is for that, not to discuss about metaphysical uh, problems. So somehow we can say that uh, Buddhism is hostile to philosophy. But that does not mean that in Buddhism there is no philosophy. It's very deep. Because uh, when, you, when you practice mindfulness, concentration, insight, you have a very deep view of the world. And you may express your view uh, of the world. It's very deep, but not in terms of speculation. That is only an expression uh, called uh, right view, right view, insight. That insight can help with transformation and healing. So it's not true that in Buddhism there is no philosophy. 
But that is a philosophy, uh, that is a kind of insight that has the power to help with the healing and transformation and not for speculation. One of the one of the insights that belong to that uh, category is that suffering and happiness they have a deep connection with each other. That is a deep vision, the right view, the insight that we need in order to 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 be cap- to be able truly to to practice uh, transformation and healing. And that insight is called interbeing. Sometimes it's called uh, non-self, uh, emptiness. But interbeing may be the easiest uh, way to understand that kind of insight. Interbeing means you cannot be by yourself alone. You have to go be. Interbe with everything else. It's like this sheet of paper. This sheet of paper cannot be by herself alone. When you look into it, you see elements that are not paper. And without these elements, a sheet of paper cannot be there. Like a tree. Looking at uh, the sheet of paper, you don't see a tree. But there is a tree inside. Without a tree, you cannot make uh, paper paste. You see the paper mill, you see the forest, you see the rain that uh, allow the trees to grow, you see the sunshine that help the trees to grow, you see the logger, you see everything in a sheet of paper. So this paper without these non, non-paper elements can never be there. So. The paper cannot be by itself alone. It has to in the bee with the tree, with the sunshine, with the cloud, with the rain, and so on. That's called interbeing. interbeing. So the word to be that we use in every day can be very misleading. Can you say, I am there? You think that you are, you are there, but you cannot be there without, without us, without the trees, without the air, without the sunshine. 
it's better to say we are there because you carry all of us inside of you. You carry Mother Earth, you carry the sunshine, you carry the rain, everything. So this is not a me, this is a we, we are there. We enter all. If we remove the eleven parents, ancestors, food, education, air, water, there is no us left. So we means the whole cosmos. And suppose you look at uh, the sheet of paper, you turn it over and you see that it has two sides. The left and the right. The recto and the verso. And think about the being of uh, the left side. The left side cannot be by itself alone without the right side. The left cannot be by itself alone. The, the left has to interbe at the same time with the right. You cannot take the left out of the right. I cannot ask you to come and bring the left to Paris. And I ca cannot take, ask her to come and bring the right to, uh, uh, to Rome. Because they inter, they inter ah, the, the left and the right. They cannot be by itself. So the left is, that's not correct. The left cannot be by itself. The left must interbe with the right. Wherever the left is, the right is also. So if uh, politically you are on the left, don't wish for the right to disappear. Because if the right disappears, the left disappears at the same time. That is the teaching of interbeing. That is a kind of philosophy, but not for the sake of speculation. This is a seen by deep observation, by meditation. And in this case, we know that suffering and happiness, they are the same. One cannot be with the other. So if you have a wish that you only want to retain happiness, you don't want any suffering, that is not possible. And our idea of uh, paradise, our idea of the kingdom of God is very naive. We think over there, up there, there is no suffering. There is only happiness. It's like, uh, well, there is a sheet of paper that he has only the right side, no left side. It's not possible. It is with uh, 
suffering, the element of suffering that you can make happiness. It is like uh, the mud and the lotus flower. You cannot grow lotus flowers on marble. You have to grow them on the mud. And if you have it inside, and then looking into the lotus flower, you see the mud inside. Like when you look at a sheet of paper, you see the tree inside. The tree is not apparent, but it is there. If you remove the tree from the paper, the paper collapses. There's interbeing. There's free philosophy also, but uh, practical, very deep, very uh, useful. So it's not true to say that there is no philosophy in Buddhism. Philosophy in Buddhism, that is the insight, the deep vision that you get with meditation. And that's called a prajna. Prajna is insight that you obtain from the practice of mindfulness and concentration. Mindfulness, concentration, bring insight. An insight that has the power to liberate you from ignorance. When you say, in paradise, in the kingdom of God, there is no suffering, that is ignorance. That is naive, because happiness can never be by itself alone. Like the flower, lotus flower, cannot be by herself alone. There should be the, the mud in order for a lotus bit to be. So I have a better definition of uh, paradise, of the kingdom of God. In Buddhism, we don't speak of God and the kingdom of God. That does not mean that we deny God, we deny the kingdom of God. In Buddhism, we speak of the, the, the pure land of the Buddha, the land of bliss. We know that uh, true happiness is made of understanding and love. Imagine a person who does not have understanding. He does not understand anything. How, how can he love? When you don't understand yourself, when you don't understand the other person, how can you love yourself and to love him or her? Every one of us needs to be understood. There are those of us who complain that no one in this world understands him or her. Very lonely. So if we have a chance to meet a person who can understand you deeply, 
You are a lucky person. And you feel grateful to him or to her because that is a person who has the capacity to understand you. I know a young man in California. He lives with his mother. He got graduated from a very famous university, very intelligent, very handsome, has a good job, good salary. He had, he had, he had so many girlfriends, many of them very pretty. And uh, his mother observed and he saw, saw him especially uh, uh, interested in one of these girlfriends. But for her, that is not the most beautiful uh, 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 lady. Mm. And uh, he spent time more with her. And he seemed to be appreciating her very much. And her mother was surprised that that young lady, she's not the best, uh, judging on the uh, <laughs> aspect of uh, uh, beauty and, and so. So one day he could not resist. He said, my son, I see that you have so many pretty friends, but why are you interested only in that one? That one, to me, is not the best. <laughs> and the young man, in the, in the first, uh, first, this young man did not know how to answer. And when she asked it for the second time, he found the answer. He said, Mother, because she understands me. because she understands me. I am a scientist, but I love to write poetry. But when I read my poetry, all the other girls girl did not seem to, to be interested very much, but she listened very deeply, and she know, she know how to appreciate my poetry. And when I say something, she listened with all her attention. I say one thing, she understands two things. So all of us need to be understood. And those who understand us, we are grateful for them. Especially when someone understands your suffering. Every one of us has suffering inside. And if someone understands recognize suffering in us and know how to help us to suffer less. We are very, very grateful to him or to her. Yeah, if you're being loved by that person. A person who has no understanding uh, cannot love. Cannot love. 
They may have passion, craving, but not love. Love is made of understanding. So if in the world you have one person who can understand you, especially your suffering, your difficulties, your despair, and then you are a very lucky person already. There are those of us who go and look for, search for such a person but never met. But as we practice and observe, we see that if you understand your own suffering, if you look at your suffering, if you know how to hold your suffering and listen to it and look deeply into, into it, you'll find out the roots the nature of your suffering. And that kind of understanding brings you relief right away. And when you have understood your suffering, you suffer much less. Because the understanding of suffering shows you the way to transform that suffering. If you do not understand suffering, you don't know how to transform it. It's like a doctor. Before the doctor see the nature of the illness in the patient, he cannot do anything to help him. So understanding the disease, the cause of the disease, is crucial for the doctor to prescribe a kind of practice or medicine that can heal. The same thing is true here. If you have a chance to go back to yourself and listen to the suffering inside and try to understand the nature of that suffering, suddenly you see the way out. And just to see the way out, you suffer less right away. You see the path that leads to this transformation and, and cessation of the suffering. You suffer less right away, even before you practice. Just see the path, see the way, make you suffer, because you are lucky if you, you see the path, the spiritual path, that leads you to the cessation of your suffering, that leads you to the transformation of suffering. We suffer because we are in the dark. We suffer, but we don't know why we suffer. And the nature of suffering. So if we know how to understand, to listen to our suffering, the path will be revealed to us. And at that moment, you suffer less right away, much less, even if you have not taken the first step on that path.
And when you have understood your own suffering, it's much easier to see and understand the suffering of the other person. It means that before you can understand someone else, you have to understand yourself. That insight is not confined to Buddhism, to the Buddha. Many sages, many wise people in the world know that. Connect to Atomen. Understand yourself. Understand yourself. First of all, understand your suffering. Because your suffering carries within us, within it, the suffering of your father. Your suffering is also the suffering of your father. Your father had that suffering, but he did not know how to transform it, so he transmitted it to you. Your suffering carries within itself the suffering of your mother, of your ancestors. So understand your own suffering. You understand the suffering of your father, your mother, and your ancestors. That is the teaching of the Buddha. And, and your suffering also reflects the suffering of your partner, of uh, the world. So understanding suffering is the first step. And that is why the first Dhamma talk given by, by the Buddha is about the four noble truths. The first one is suffering. And the second one is the nature, the roots of our suffering. It's very practical. Right away in the first Dhamma talk, dukkha is suffering. Dukkha is ill-being. In Chinese, the word suffering also means bitterness. And the second noble truth is uh, the making of suffering. How suffering has come to be. The roots of suffering, the nature of suffering. Suppose you have a depression. A depression is the first noble truth. If you have a depression, you should recognize that there is a depression. You cannot say, I do not have a depression. When you do have a depression, when you have an illness, you have ill being suffering in you, the first thing you should do is to recognize, to admit that you have the suffering. You have to know that I have a depression. A depression has come to be in me. Accepting the first truth is the first step. If you suffer and if you try to say that, no, I have no suffering, you have no chance in order to transform. 
So the first thing is to acknowledge the fact that you have suffering. And who among us does not have suffering? So we have to, to confirm the existence, the presence of suffering in us. Suppose there is a depression, we have to say, there is a depression. A depression has come to settle in me. So the first step of the practice. The second step of practice is to have the courage to look, to listen, to embrace it. The courage is to recognize it as something existing. The courage is to go back to it and take care of it and listen to it and embrace it in order to understand the nature of that suffering. Because everything has causes. What has come to be should be should have been brought by something. If you have a depression, it means that you have lived your life in the last six months or a year in such a way that have allowed depression to settle in you. The way we live our life, the way we receive, the way we consume, the way we handle our relationship in such a way. So looking deeply into the nature of the depression, we see the the roots, the cause, the kind of nutriment that he has used in order to feed, to nourish our depression. The Buddha said this, nothing can survive without food. It's very clear. Your happiness, your love, needs food in order to survive. Your love might be beautiful, but if you don't know how to feed it, it will die. It may last six months or one year, and then it turns to be something else. So love needs food in order to survive. And those who love each other should know how to feed their love, the kind of uh, food that can help that love uh, last long, longer and longer. A thought that you produce, a word that you say, an action that you do may be the kind of nutriment in order to help your love uh, grow and last or may or may cause your love to to get thinner to 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 diminish so suffering is the same 
if your suffering is increasing every day because you keep feeding them by your way of living or daily living. If your depression refuses to go because you keep feeding your depression, everything you see, everything you listen, everything you consume in your daily life may be feeding your depression. So look into your depression and find out the roots and the nutrients, the food that you have used to feed it. And when you have identified the kind of food that you have used to feed your depression, you have enlightenment. And you need only to cut off the source of nutrients. You deprive your depression of food, and your depression will have to die in a few weeks. Nothing can survive without food. That is the statement made by the Buddha. And the second noble truth can be described as in terms of food, in terms of nutriment. If your relationship has become difficult, impossible, because you have you have not nourished your relationship with the right kind of food. You have used poisons in order to nourish that relationship with uh, the kind of thought you produce, the kind of words you utter, the kind of action you perform. So meditation is to look into the nature of your suffering, to find out the source of nutriment that has brought it to you so that you can see the path that leads to the cessation of the suffering. So this is uh, the roots of ill-being, the making, the accumulation, the making of suffering. But many of us do not want to practice the second noble truth. We think that uh, we don't like to do so. We don't want to come home to us and get in touch with the suffering and listen to it and look into it to find out how and why it has come to us. Because we don't think of it as something pleasant. So most of us do the opposite. We try to run away from our suffering. We make, it, we, we make it sound like we don't suffer. And you, you try to run away 
You don't want to go home and encounter the suffering inside. Because you are afraid that if you come home and touch the suffering, it will overwhelm you. And that is why most of us in society try to run away and to cover up, to dissimulate, to pretend that it's not there. There is no suffering. We pretend that everything is all right. We try to deceive us and we try to deceive other people that we are okay, there is nothing wrong in us. But in fact, there may be a very deep block of suffering inside. So the Buddha recommended that we should not practice that. Because many of us try to, to cover up the suffering by the way of consumption. If you turn on the television, it's not exactly because there is an interesting pro- program that you can watch and you can enjoy, you can learn. Sometimes the TV program is not good at all, and yet you don't have the courage to turn it off, because if you turn it off, you have to go back to yourself. It's not pleasant. Sometimes you pick up a magazine and newspaper to read, not because you are eager to know what is happening, because reading a newspaper helps you not to have to go back and touch the suffering inside. You are always trying to run away. And many of us who are not hungry, who do not have the the need to eat, and yet we go and open the refrigerator and take out something to eat. We eat not because we are hungry. We eat because we we want to to use the eating and to forget that some something is painful here. And we take our car and go out. We talk on t- on telephone. We do everything in order not to be to have to go back to ourselves, in order to to touch the suffering inside. This is the opposite of the practice, because you are afraid of being in touch with your suffering. And the method of the Buddha is that you should train yourself in the practice of mindfulness, of breathing, of sitting, of uh, walking, of driving. Because when you practice mindful breathing, mindful uh, walking, you generate an energy. The energy that can help you strong. And when you go back to yourself with that energy, you are stronger. 
because that energy helps you to recognize the suffering, helps you to embrace your suffering and to listen to it. Without mindfulness, you are only a um, uh, passive, you are only a passive entity. You'll be overwhelmed. You'll be victim of the suffering. But with mindfulness, with energy of mindfulness, you can be active. Because with, our, with mindfulness, you have the strength to recognize suffering. Hello there, my despair. I know you are there. I will take care of you. I am back for you. I am here for you. That is the voice of mindfulness. Hello there, I know you are there. Hello, my, my little anger, my little despair. I know you are there. I am coming back to you and take care of you. That is the, the work of mindfulness. And if you don't practice mindful walking, mindful sitting, mindful breathing, you don't have that mindful, that energy. That is why Buddhist meditation begins with mindfulness. And mindfulness is the kind of energy that everyone can generate by the practice. When you walk from your living quarter to the meditation hall, walk in such a way that every step helps generate the energy of mindfulness, or mindfulness of walking. When you wash your dishes, don't think of anything else. Just focus your attention on dishwashing. Enjoy dishwashing and breathing, generating the energy of mindfulness. And in plum we do like that. We do everything in mindfulness. We eat in mindfulness. We cook in mindfulness. We clean in mindfulness. Because that energy of mindfulness is uh, the energy that can heal, that can transform. So with mindfulness, you can go home to yourself without fear. With mindfulness, you can say, Hello, my despair. Hello, my anger. I know you are there. I will take good care of you. And even and with that same energy of mindfulness, you can embrace tenderly your, your pain, your sorrow, and listen to it. It's like a mother holding her ailing baby and listen to the baby. Why the baby suffer like that? So your suffering is your baby. And the mother does not know what is wrong with the baby yet. But the fact that she is holding the baby with tenderness can help the baby suffer less right away. So with mindfulness, you are holding your suffering. You have not seen 
really the roots of, of that suffering, but the fact that you are there for your suffering, holding it tenderly, not trying to run away from it, can already bring some relief, and you suffer less. Sitting or walking or embracing tenderly your, your suffering can already bring a relief. And if you are sitting in a group of people who are capable of generating mindfulness, you can make good use of that collective energy of mindfulness in order to recognize and embrace the pain in you. It's like a drop of water in a river. She allows the whole river to embrace her, to carry her, to guide her. So sitting in a Sangha, in a group of brothers and sisters in the practice, you say, dear brothers and sisters, here is my pain, here is my despair. Help me embrace this, because I am only a beginner in the practice. So you open your heart and allow the collective energy of the Sangha to recognize and embrace your pain. And if you do that in a few minutes, you suffer less. You get a relief. And that is what we call taking refuge in the Sangha. Trust the Sangha. Like a drop of water, trusting the, trusting the river. It's easier to practice with a community. Community is a jewel, one of the three jewels. Buddha is a jewel, Dharma is a jewel, Sangha is a jewel. And Sangha is very concrete. The Sangha is made of practitioners. Members of the Sangha are capable of generating mindfulness, concentration, and insight. So Sangha is carrying also the Dharma. A true Sangha has the true Dharma in it. And where there is the Dharma, the Buddha is there also. So the Sangha carries in, in herself the Dharma and the Buddha. Don't look for the Buddha in the temple or in the sky. The Buddha is in the Sangha. Because the Sangha knows how to generate mindfulness, concentration, and insight. A Buddha is someone inhabited by these kind of energies. And we are all capable of generating, generating these three kinds of energies. We are a Buddha to be. Mindfulness also carries within itself the energy of concentration. Together, mindfulness and concentration can bring insight that has the power 
to bring relief. The practice of concentration can be very powerful. It can allow us to gain the kind of insight that can that can liberate us. We don't need to change the environment in order to be happy. If we get the insight, we have another way of looking. And we don't suffer anymore. So please don't think that uh, unless you change the environment, you change part the partner, you cannot be happy. Don't think like that. You suffer because of your way of looking at things. You suffer because you don't have enough insight. And insight is uh, obtained by the practice of mindfulness and concentration. And insight is something very concrete. It's like uh, the left side of the sheet of paper and the right side. The left cannot be without the right. If you think that uh, happiness is an individual matter, you are wrong. The father cannot be truly happy if the son suffers deeply. The son cannot look for individual happiness when his father suffers deeply. So happiness is not an individual thing. If you can make your father suffer less, you suffer less. So that is the insight of interbeing. The insight of interbeing is that you are in your father, and your father is in you. And there are young people who say, who are so angry at their father, and who say, I don't want to have anything to do with that person, namely their father. It's nonsense. Because looking into the sun, you see the father. His father is there in every cell of his body. And how he can say, I don't want to have anything to do with with him anymore. You cannot take your father out of you. It's like you cannot take the tree out of the sheet of paper. So when the father sees him in the sun, and the son sees him in the father, they got the inside of interbeing. They know that making each other suffer is something stupid. Helping him to suffer less, you suffer less. Anything you do for yourself to suffer less, you do for him. So that is the insight you get by mindfulness and concentration. 
So many of us believe that unless we divorce, unless we change the environment, we cannot be happy. Unless we go to another place, we cannot be happy. In this teaching, you only need to change your way of, of, of seeing things by getting the insight. And when you get the insight, you don't suffer anymore. This is uh, salvation, not by grace, but by, by insight. In the beginning of this talk, they has said that uh, they said that uh, when you have understood your own suffering and suffer less, you are capable of seeing the suffering in the other person more, much more easily. Before that, you believe that you are the only one who suffers. That person only makes you suffer. He does not suffer. But now, since you have mindfulness and concentration that help you to understand your own suffering, you know that suffering is made mainly by ourselves. And you see the other person, you see the suffering in him, the difficulties in him, the despair in him. You see that uh, that person has so much suffering in him, and he does not know how to handle the suffering, transform the suffering, so he continues to be be victim of that suffering. And since he does not know how to handle suffering, he continues to suffer, and he continues to make uh, people around him suffer. His suffering is spilling over around him. He is the first victim of his suffering and you are only a second victim. And maybe he did not want you to suffer. It's not intention to make you suffer because he does not know how to handle suffering and that is why you have to suffer with him. So that is the kind of insight you get when you look at the other person. And when you have seen that the person has a lot of suffering, difficulties, unable to handle the suffering and difficulties, you know that that person needs help and does not need punishment. And you may think that you can help him or her. You want to say something or to do something to help him suffer less. It means that you have understood and the understanding has given rise to compassion. So the same person, but you don't suffer anymore. You don't deal with that person with anger and despair anymore. But you see hope, you see love. You think that if you divorce, and then the problem will no longer be there. 
That's not true. You have been with him or with her quite a few years already. And now he is in you, even if the paper has been signed. You cannot get him out of you. He will be with you for all your life. She will be with you for all her life. So the only way is to practice in order to transform you and transform him in you. And if you are transformed, if you get light, liberated, you can help the other person transform and get light. And you don't have to change anything. You don't have to change partner. You don't have to change environment. You have to change your way of looking at things. And you do that only when you have insight. And insight is got by the practice of mindfulness, concentration. And since you have suffered, you have the mud. And if you know how to make good use of the mud, you can grow beautiful lotus flowers. The suffering play a certain role in making happiness. If there is no suffering, how can understanding arise? And how can compassion arise? And understanding and compassion are the foundation of happiness. And you know that in order to create understanding and compassion, you need a substance that is suffering. So to practice, a good practitioner is someone who who know how to make good use of suffering in order to create understanding and compassion. And you don't have to to produce more suffering. There are enough, more than enough suffering already. So the problem is how to make good use of it. She agrees with me. So my definition of the kingdom of God is not a place where there is no suffering. The kingdom of God is a place where people know how to make good use of suffering in order to, to create understanding and, and compassion and love. I'm sure I'm more than convinced. I see very clearly that there is suffering in the kingdom of God. If there is no suffering, you have no way to create understanding and compassion. Suffering is very useful. And we can speak about the goodness 
of suffering. Le bienfait de la souffrance. If you don't have the mud, you can never make lotus flowers. If you have no suffering, you can never create happiness and joy. And that is the insight of interbeing. So in the beginning of the talk, they said that a good practitioner is someone who knows how to generate joy and happiness and someone who knows how to handle and transform suffering. And these two things together, go together. And this practice helps the other practice. If you know how to handle suffering, it's easier for you to produce joy and happiness. If you know how to produce joy and happiness, it's easier for you to handle suffering. The right and the left, they lean on each other's. They support each other. They are not enemies. Suffering is not enemy. It may be your ally. So the fifth exercise of mindfulness breathing is to generate joy. The sixth is to generate happiness. And if we are a practitioner, we should learn how to do that. A good practitioner can generate a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness, whenever she wants. For them and for the other person. But the how is very clear. The practice of mindfulness helps us to bring our mind home to our body. Remember the last Dhamma talk? And when mind and body are together, you are fully present in the here and the now. In our daily life, your mind and your body are very often apart. Remember the computer. You spend two hours with your computer. You left your body. You forget that you have a body. So when mind and body are together, you enjoy breathing in, breathing out. You are establishing the here and now. You see your body as a wonder. You see the sunshine, the rain, the trees, the hills as wonders. You know that you are healthy enough. Your eyes are still clear, in good condition. Your heart still pumping the blood well. You have feet strong enough to walk, to run. You have the good air to breathe. There are so many conditions of happiness that are available in the here and the now. 
So getting in touch with these elements of health, uh, elements that are uh, refresh, uh, uh, refreshing and healing and nourishing, you generate feeling of joy. Many of us have plenty of conditions of happiness available in the here and the now. But we are carried away by a feeling of anger, fear, and we ignore everything. We step on these conditions of happiness. We are wasting. So mindfulness helps us to recognize these conditions of happiness. And when we are in touch, a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness arises very easily. Last time, they talk about opening the water tap with mindfulness. With mindfulness, you see that the water has come from up in the mountain, down on the earth. Come to your kitchen and uh, allow this fresh water to 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 flow on your fingers can be a happy can be a happy moment it's a wonder there's people in the world who have to go 5 kilometers to fetch some water and not of a good quality we are very lucky even if we have just lost our job but we are still much luckier than so many people. So recognizing that we are lucky, that we still have plenty of conditions of happiness that can give rise to a joyful feeling, a feeling of gratitude, a feeling of happiness. You remind yourself with mindfulness and you remind of the other person that both of you are lucky. Before eating your breakfast, look at the other person and say, Darling, don't you think you are lucky? We have a roof to live under. We have something for breakfast. We are still together. We remind ourselves and we remind others. There is no war going on around here. And if you have suffered in the past, bring that suffering back into the present moment in order to compare. And against the background of suffering, happiness will stand out very clearly. You know that during the war in Vietnam, you hear the sound of the the guns day and night. And your wish is that you can sleep better without the sound of the guns. But here, there's no sound of guns at night. You have peace. Our workers in the School of Youth for Social Service in Vietnam, young monks and nuns and lay people, 
we have built, rebuilt many villages that have been destroyed by the bombing. The war in, the war in Vietnam lasted 30 years. The, the first part of it was uh, waged by the French uh, army from 1945. And then long after that, the French did not have enough money to continue the war. So Americans were financing the war in Vietnam out of fear of communism. And thinking that if uh, Vietnam falls into communism and then all the countries of Southeast Asia will follow in the, in the theory of uh, dominoes. So fear is at the foundation of the action. So millions of people were killed. Many French soldiers died in Vietnam. Many American soldiers died in Vietnam. And we lost about six million people in the war. And our social workers worked in that uh, difficult situation. There was a village which was bombarded by the American. The village is uh, situated near the demilitarized zone in the village in Talok. That zone separated the north and the south. And our workers received the order to rebuild that village. And then it was bombarded again for the second time. And local workers, monks, nuns, and others asked whether they should rebuild the village of Talak. We said, yes, we have to rebuild. In the province of Quang Tri, near the 17th parallel, Talak. Then it was bombarded for the third time. Then we met at the headquarters of the School of Youth for Social Service. And after debate, we said, rebuild it again, third time. And it was bombarded again for the fourth time. The problem is not the materials in order to rebuild. The problem is whether we have to give up or to continue. What is the use of building in order to be destroyed? That is the question asked by many people. But psychologically, if you give up, and then despair will overwhelm. And despair is the worst thing that can happen to a human being. 
So if we gave the order to build it for the fourth time, you know, we rebuild it five times. We rebuild it because we don't want people to be victims of despair. Not because uh, we, we, uh, we, uh, we, we have enough materials and money in order to do that. That is a psychological problem. And when people are overwhelmed with despair, that's the, the form of suffering that is uh, most difficult, the kind of suffering that is most difficult to bear. And I remember many young people came to me and asked, Hey, do you, do you think that the war is going to end soon? That was about 20 years after the war started. People die every day, every night. And in our school of youth for social service, we went to rescue people. to help the wounded people, to bring relief, to, re- to, uh, to, to organize uh, 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 refugee, refugee camps, war refugees camp. And many of us, including monastics, die during the operation. Dear Thay, it was a group of uh, students from many faculties of the University of Saigon who came and asked Thay, do you think that the war will end soon? There is any hope? more than 20 years already. It's a very difficult question to answer. They did not see any hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. But how can they say there is no hope. They will destroy them. They will crush them, the young people. So after having breathed in and out a few times, and they said, my dear friends, the Buddha said, everything is impermanent. The war also should be impermanent. The war has to end someday. So let us continue. So as far as uh, the global warming is concerned, many of us are about to fall into despair. We have not seen any sign of the... But if we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by despair, we lose our lucidity. 
lose our hope, and we get the situation worse very quickly. That's why we have to practice in order to get that kind of insight that can help us prevent despair to descend to, 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 to allow us uh, to continue with uh, clarity and non-fear. So, generating joy and happiness is what the Buddha said that we should do. Using mindfulness in order to create a feeling of joy and happiness. Because all of us need to be nourished. And joy and happiness can be possible in a difficult situation also. And that is why during the war, our workers continue the practice. The practice of mindfulness allow us to get in touch with the, the good things so that we can get the nourishment and the healing to continue. We have to invent joy and happiness in order to survive. Suppose you have a beautiful garden. When you have 30 beautiful trees, And if uh, five of the trees in, the, in your garden just fall down, very beautiful trees, and you are sad, and you may be possessed by that kind of sadness, and you are no longer able to enjoy your garden. But in the garden, there are another 20 trees that are still beautiful, vigorous. So it's not because a number of trees have died that you stop enjoying the trees. So suffering and happiness happen at the same time in every one of us. Not because you have some suffering that we do not have the capacity to enjoy the other part that is non-suffering. And that is why, even in the most desperate situation, you have to preserve yourself by generating moments of joy and happiness together. Suppose you are having, you have something, you are having lunch on the table there is an orange there is a a squash is the rice is the vegetables and even if uh, if we just get some some bad news we should try to eat our lunch in such a way that we can get the nourishment and healing 
during eating. It's possible to pick up a fruit, a vegetable, and see that this is a gift of Mother Earth. We still have love. So if you are able to enjoy your lunch, your eating with mindfulness, if you can appreciate the fact that uh, you are still together, you are still a family, you are still a chance to share a lunch together, that is the positive things. Even in a difficult situation, we still have to be able to generate a feeling of gratitude, of joy, of happiness to nourish us. And then if you are nourished like that, you are stronger in order to to handle the situation of suffering. So in order to transform and heal, you need uh, nourishment. It's like a person who is about to undergo surgery. And if a doctor judges that this person is too weak in order to go to the operation, and then he will give the order to postpone the, the surgery and to help that person get a little bit stronger. In order to be able to resist, to to stand under surgery, so it's the same. We have blocks of pain. We we may think that unless I take out this block of pain, I cannot enjoy life, and that is not the best way of thinking. Even if there are trees that have died, there are still many trees that are alive. And you should be able to sit under the beautiful trees and say that we still have beautiful trees. And if you know how to enjoy the beautiful trees, you have more strength in order to rebuild or replant the other trees. So the the practice of generating joy and happiness helps you in the practice of handling suffering. So a good practitioner should know how to generate a feeling of joy and happiness by touching the good things, the positive things, the things that are nourishing and healing us, that are still available. And that is the work of mindfulness. Mindfulness allowed us to recognize these things as available. And mindfulness helped you to remind the other person, dear one, we are still very lucky. Let us be thankful so that we are strong enough in order to to handle the difficulties that we have ahead. And the seven the seven exercise of mindful breathing is to is to recognize 
Okay. You beings have the courage to acknowledge the fact that there is something in me. To come home with mindfulness in order to recognize and to embrace, not to suppress. The mother does not suppress her baby. The mother acknowledges the baby, see the suffering of the baby, pick up the baby, and hold the baby in tenderness. That is what a good practitioner will do. Go home to your baby, suffering baby. Be there for your baby. Embrace it tenderly and get a relief. You cannot do this unless you have the energy of mindfulness. That is why while walking from your tent to the meditation hall, don't talk. Don't think. Walk in such a way that every step generates mindfulness. Every step brings the joy, brings the happiness of being alive, touching the wonders of life. That helps the healing. You nourish yourself by that. So in our walking meditation, we stop the thinking. The thinking takes us away from the here and the now. We just feel. We just touch, feel the, the contact between our feet and Mother Earth. Allow Mother Earth to heal you. Allow the wonders of life to penetrate your body and trust. Trust Mother Earth a source of healing. You breathe in the air, the air can be healing. You get, uh, you allow the beautiful uh, uh, green color to penetrate into your mind or body. That's healing. Every step can be healing. Every breath can be healing. And Mother Earth is not only around you, it is, she is inside of you. Allow her to heal you. Because Mother Earth is uh, a most beautiful Bodhisattva, beautiful mother of all of us, mother of Buddhas, Bodhisattvas and saints. She has brought us to life and she will receive us back and bring us to life again and again. We have to trust. Mother Earth is not the environment. Mother Earth is us. Is a a being, a great being, Mahasattva.
and aid me exercise of mindful breathing is calming, calming the pain. Whether that pain is a a painful feeling, a difficult, uh, uh, unpleasant feeling, or a strong emotion like fear, anger, despair. Have to go home and take care of that. And with the energy of mindfulness. So in our daily life, everything we do, every minute we live, can be used in order to generate the energy of mindfulness. Even when you brush your teeth, brush them in mindfulness and enjoy the time of toothbrushing, it can bring you happiness. There are many ways of uh, generating joy and happiness with mindfulness, including the practice of uh, selective watering. You have a seat of joy, memory of happiness, a seat of love, a seat of understanding, in you. And the other person also has many good seeds in him or in her. She has uh, talents. She has tolerance. She is capable of forgiving. And you also have these good things. So recognize these things and allow them to manifest. Say something, listen to something in order to allow the good things in us to manifest. When you listen to a Dhamma talk, the Dhamma talk is a kind of rain penetrating into the soil of your Consciousness. In, in the soil of your consciousness, there is a seed of love, the seed of uh, understanding, there's a seed of mindfulness, there's a seed of peace, there's a seed of compassion. And if you allow the rain of the Dhamma talk to penetrate deep into the soil of your, of, of your consciousness, and then these uh, seeds will sprout and that give you joy and happiness. You can read a book. You can uh, listen to a good conversation that has the power to, to recognize and water the good seeds so that they can come up 
and joy and happiness become a reality. And you can water the soil of mind of the other person. He, she has many good things. Don't water the seed of anger, fear, jealousy in him or in her. Water the seed of understanding, compassion, joy. And you see that that person uh, can be joyful and happy right away. It does not take time. Very quick. That is the, the practice of selective watering. You water only the good seeds in you and in the other person. You acknowledge the talent, the virtue of that person. You say that you are grateful for that. You create happiness and joy right away. There are many ways of, uh, of producing joy and happiness. And there are also many ways of, uh, to handle the pain. Maybe the first is to just recognize the pain and not exaggerate. These are sometimes you have you you have something that disturbs you in your body or in your mind, and you suffer. And in in that moment, you allow suffering to overwhelm you, and you forget all about the good things. That is not a good thing to do. Recognizing that there are a number of trees that are dying, but you remember that there are many things that are still alive and beautiful. That is the truth. And then, do not exaggerate. If you have something that seems to be wrong in your body, don't panic. Don't think that you are going to die very soon. And this the Buddha taught us. If you have a pain in your body, if you have some pain in your mind, just recognize it as it is and do not exaggerate. And he gave the example of someone who is struck by an arrow. You are struck by an arrow and you suffer. But if uh, a second arrow comes and strikes you exactly at the same spot, the pain will not only be double, but maybe ten times more painful. So if you allow your anger, your despair, your fear to come, just because of that the minor pain in your body and in, in your mind. And then you suffer 10 times, one time more. So that is the practice of simple recognition, mere recognition. If there is a minor pain, you know that there is a, a minor pain. If needed, you need a doctor you need a friend 
to look with you so that you can recognize the pain as it is and do not exaggerate. If you exaggerate by you amplify the pain by 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 imagination. You are you think you are going to die very soon. You think that is a cancer. If uh, you if you get angry at it, if you worry too much, and then you amplify the suffering. So the first thing the Buddha recognized is to the Buddha said is to recognize the pain at his ease and do not exaggerate. It means do not allow the second arrow to come. And sometimes the second arrow comes from another person. <laughs> he, she worry too much. And that makes you worry also. So if, uh, as a practitioner, you have some some pain in your body or your your mind, breathe and recognize that pain. Hello, my little pain, I know you are there. I will take good care of you. I, I know how to take care of you. Because I have learned, I have trained in order to to handle a painful feeling, a painful emotion. So the time we are together as a Sangha is the time to learn how to handle a feeling of pain, a feeling an emotion, a strong emotion. And there are very concrete practice in order to to take care. There are young people who do not know how to handle a strong emotion. And they think that uh, the only way to stop suffering is to go and kill themselves. They jump from a high building. Many young people do that in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, there are so many high buildings. But the emotion, everyone has emotions. But an emotion is uh, something impermanent. They come, they may come like a storm. They can disturb very deeply. But if we know how to handle the emotion, they cannot do anything to us. And finally, that emotion has to go away. And you are not an emotion. You are more than an emotion. Your territory is vast. 
body, feelings, perception, mental formation, consciousness. It's a huge. Emotion is just a very small thing. Why do you have to die just because of one emotion? So the young people have to be reminded of that simple fact. An emotion is something that comes, stay for some time, and go away. And if we know how to handle emotion, we are not afraid. The practice of breathing, deep breathing, the practice of looking deeply, using the collective energy in order to help uh, embracing that emotion can be very effective. Some people can sit with you and help you to embrace your emotion. They can even sit for half an hour to be with you and help you to, to hold your emotion. And with the collective energy, uh, you survive very well the time when the emotion stays and finally it goes away. With some practice, we can learn that. The practice of breathing deeply with your abdomen. Breathing in, allow your abdomen to rise. And breathing out, and become aware of the falling of the abdomen. Stop all the thinking. Just focusing your attention on the rise and fall of your abdomen. You might like to put your fingers on it and have to be aware deeply of the rising and falling of your abdomen. And stay firm with your breathing. Stop the, the thinking. And then you are safe. If you continue to think about it, the feeling gets stronger. And it gets hold of you. But if you know how to stop the feeling, just focus your whole attention on the breathing in and out, the rising and falling of your abdomen, and then during the time, you are safe. You are protected. Don't stay up here, go down here. Here is the trunk of the tree. It's much stronger than the top of the tree. The wind can, can sway the top of the tree, but the wind cannot do anything for our tongue. And your tongue is here. So bring your mind down here. Stop the thinking and focus only on the breathing in and out. Possible, it's possible to do that in the sitting position. You are more firm, you are stable, more solid or in a lying position with your fingers on your belly and practice. And if a mother, father knows how to do that, they will teach their child to do that. They can hold the hand of a child and say, darling, breathe in with mommy. You see, 
stomach is rising, falling, rising, falling. Guided meditation. And the child will forget about it and focus her attention on the and then the emotion will go away. Next time it comes back, you are no longer afraid. You do exactly just that, and it cannot do anything to you. This should be taught in the family. This should be taught in school to reduce the the number of uh, young people who 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 commit suicide because they don't know how to handle strong emotions. And the seventh and the eighth exercise help us to calm down an emotion, a painful feeling, so that you can suffer less. With the next uh, eight exercise, the Buddha guides more on how to use uh, the practice of breathing and the concentration in order to really transform them and not just to calm, calm them. The fourth exercise is calming the body. The third is recognizing the body. Breathing in, I'm aware of my body. I come back to my body. The fourth is breathing in, I release the tension in my body. I calm my body. So this is exactly the same, but with emotions and feelings. Breathing in, I'm aware of the painful feeling or emotion. And then the eight, breathing in, I calm down the emotion. And this is to be trained, to be practiced. And that is why uh, Buddhism, first of all, is a practice and not a philosophy. Although you can find very deep philosophy in Buddhism. And the best thing we do in Dharma discussion is not to learn Buddhism, but to share how we practice our difficulties, our success, so that you can learn from each other how we use that insight in order to look at things so that we suffer less. How to look in order to see the suffering in the other person so that we don't get angry at him or her anymore. So uh, the practice will help uh, uh, the transformation and healing inside of us. And on that base, we can help the other person to transform and heal.